Welcome to Pardes Daily, where you get your daily dose of Torah with Pardes faculty. This time, Pardes is bringing Pesach to you. Let's dive in. Hi, this is Rachel Berkovitz coming to you from Jerusalem. This is Unit 10 as we're learning through the Mishnayot of Masechet Sachim. Last time we saw the um, third, the second and third Mishnayot of Chapter 2, which discussed chametz that was belonging to or in the domain of a non-Jew. And we saw that there was a definition of what type of chametz we had to get rid of, what type of chametz we couldn't eat, and what type of chametz we would not be able to get any enjoyment from even after the holiday. And that was chametz that was lecha, that belonged to Jews, that was within um, accessible access. If it was underneath a pile of rocks and we didn't have access to it, then we have no responsibility of getting rid of it. If it belongs to non-Jews and we definitely don't have any access of it to it, we don't have any responsibility to get rid of it. And so despite the end of that verse that said that you should not see, it should not be seen to you in all your gvulacha, right, within the boundaries, within the borders of your country, the rabbis reinterpreted and said, no, it's not the borders of your entire country. That would include non-Jews, but where Jews have access. And they gave this sort of tense, interesting um, scenario, right? The borderline litmus case. Well, what if it belongs to me, but I don't exactly have access because it's been given to collateral to somebody else, right? So that might feel like I don't have access. And if we rate it the way the... Uh, the traditions from Eretz Israel, and right, this includes like the manuscript of Kaufman has it this way. If you look in the manuscript there, you can see, right, what's unique about the Kaufman manuscript is the Sofer, the scribe that wrote the text, brings the tradition of Eretz Israel, and the Sofer that put the Nikud, that put the vocalization, brings the tradition of Babel. And there he crosses out words because, as we said, the Babylonian tradition has the opposite. And every place that it said in the first line in Eretz Israel that where it said it was Asur Bahana'ah, he, he, he tries to erase it and rewrite it. But there, if we go according to the Israel tradition of this Mishnah, right, despite the fact that it belongs to me, even though it belongs to me, but I don't have access because it's been given as collateral to somebody else, right? I guess the capability that I have, I, I didn't add this last time, but I was thinking about the capability that I have to at any point choose to repay the loan and then I would get it back is considered access enough and consider it as if it belongs to me enough that even if it was in the domain of the non-Jew, but it belonged to me as my collateral, I couldn't get benefit from it afterwards, right? And I guess you'd have to say the Babylonian read of that Mishnah is it being in the other person's domain and the fact that if I don't repay the loan, it's going to become theirs, right, is enough to define it as belonging to them and not being that I have access. And therefore, the opposite would be true of which way you could get Hananah afterwards. The basic rule is always the same. If it belonged to the non-Jew, then I can have enjoyment and benefit after the Pesach. And if it belonged to the Jew and he had access to it and didn't get rid of it, then I cannot enjoy it after Pesach. The next Mishnah continues. And it no longer talks about relationships between Jews and non-Jews, but now goes to talk about relationships within the Jewish community. Relationships between Kohanim and those people who can eat consecrated and Kodesh food like Truma, the tithe that's given to the Kohanim, and the regular Joe Shmo Yisrael who is not allowed, is prohibited all year round to eat Truma. 
right? Kohanim are allowed to eat truma and they must eat it in a state of tahara, in a state of purity. And zarim, those who are not kohanim, are forbidden from eating truma. Now, there is a rule that has nothing to do with Pesach. There is a rule stated in Vayikra, Chafbet Yedalad, um, 22.14, that says that um, there is a punishment if you accidentally eat truma when you're not someone who's allowed to. And the same punishment is actually if you accidentally make truma tame when you're not supposed to, right? What happens if a foreigner eats truma by accident? And the Torah says that you must repay it to the Kohen, but that there is a, like a fine, a knas. I have to repay the value of the truma that I ate. Plus, right, that's the Karen, that's the value of the acid itself, plus chomesh, plus a fifth, a fifth of the total at the end when I've added it, which really is a fourth. I take the amount that I ate, I figure out a fourth of it, and I add it to them. And then, so that is a fifth of the entire total that I've added, if that makes any sense. I, I'm not so good at math. I might not have explained that well and clear. Okay. That is what you have to do. And there are a few laws that are important about this. If I ate Truma Bashogig, if I was a non-Cohen and ate Truma Bashogig, when I repay this Karen, the actual amount that I ate, plus the extra fine, the extra additional thing, I have to pay it to the Kohen and I have to pay it to him in tithes. It has to be Truma itself. I have to give it to him from grains, from things that grew in the ground. It has to be Batahara. And the Kohen is not allowed to refuse it. And all these rules are in Mishnah Trumot in the sixth chapter, talking about someone Bishogeg. And it seems like this additional fifth that I'm adding, this, this Chomish that I'm adding, is some sort of like atonement for what I'm doing or some sort of uh, motivator to remind me to be more conscious and mindful next time, right? If I, if I have it, it affects my pocket when I make mistakes like this, I maybe will remember not to make them again. The fact that like I sort of sanctify this, this additional part that I give as Truma itself seems to imply that maybe it's, it's sort of a dedication as, as to atone for the mistake that I made. And that's the rule if a non-Kohen eats truma all year round. The rule, in the, if I did it accidentally, Bishogi, the rule all year round, if I do it on purpose, if I'm a non-Kohen and I on purpose eat truma, the, the law is different, interestingly. The law is that I have to just pay the value of what I stole. I'm like a gazlan. I'm like someone who stole and I have to pay back the value of what I stole. And that can be monetarily. I can give money. I don't have to give more tithes. And I don't pay the fine. It's like I pay less. And the Kohen can choose to forgo it. He could say, oh, you don't have to pay me. And there it's very interesting. It's very confusing. It seems to be that the act of doing it on purpose with intention, I'm unable to fix it in some way. I made my choice and, and the ramifications that are that are going to be in the Shemayim, right? That maybe there's mitzvah, there's death by the hands of God. That's going to happen. I, I can't atone for it. I don't need to fix it in any way. I stole something. I have to repay the value. There are two ways that I've hurt the other person. I stole something that belonged to them, and that has nothing to do with them being a Kohen. So in both scenarios, whether I did it on purpose or I did it by accident, I have to pay it back. But there's another value that I hurt Kochim. I've somehow insulted the divine or hurt the divine by having this lack of intention. 
And so I have to make reparations for that and I have to train myself not to do it again. But the person who's done Mazid doesn't need that training and doesn't have the capability of making those reparations and doesn't play the Chomish. That's the background that we need for our Mishnah. Because our Mishnah basically tells us that same halakha, but having to do with truma, that's chametz. So this is Mishnah 4, chapter 2, Mishnah 4. Ha'ochel trumat chametz b'pesach, b'shogeg mishalem karen b'chomesh. Right, so now a non-Kohen accidentally eats truma that is also chametz on Pesach. Right, how can I have truma that's also chametz on Pesach, the, the commentaries say? Possibly I separated it before Pesach and I forgot to get rid of it and I have it now on Pesach. Or possibly I separated it on Pesach and it was it was kosher on Pesach and then it, water got in it or something happened and it, and it became leaven accidentally. So there are two accidents and then I ate it, right? So I accidentally eat it. The reparations are exactly the same as if it wasn't Pesach. I have to pay the original amount plus the fifth. The fact that it was chametz, not chametz, the fact that it's Pesach, not Pesach, the halacha is the same. Where is the halacha difference? When I eat it intentionally. But mezid, right? So now I'm eating truma that's chametz on Pesach, right? Which is prohibited. And it's all right. We learned about it. It gets burnt, right? Can be burnt together. It's, it's forbidden to be eaten even to the Kohen, right? So you might think I haven't affronted the Kohen in any way. I haven't stolen anything from him. And that is going to be reflected in the halacha. If I do it on purpose, I am exempt from paying him anything, all right? And there are two ways to understand this. I think the shot here is this first way. The, the chametz is valueless. The Kohen couldn't have eaten it. It was supposed to be destroyed. It had no value whatsoever. The fact that I took it when I wasn't supposed to, there's nothing to pay back. It has, because all I'm doing is paying back the monetary value and it has not no monetary value. And I don't even have to pay the money of wood. What is the money of wood, right? This is what we saw in the first chapter with the oil that was burned. And this is what we saw in the first Mishnah of this chapter about that you're not even allowed to use the chametz as fuel, right? I don't even have to pay the money of wood means the money of fuel. If it, Fine, you wouldn't eat it but maybe it would get something cheap just to be burnt because I'm not even allowed to use chametz as fuel. I can't get any benefit for it. So even the cheapest, cheapest value that it could have as if it was sticks that would be burnt doesn't even have that value. It's nothing. So if I eat truma chametz on Pesach on purpose, I pay the Kohen nothing because the Kohen hasn't lost anything. And that's the whole Mishnah. This Mishnah to me is very, very crazy because it's focusing on the truma and it's not focusing on the chametz, right? It doesn't say, what if you accidentally eat chametz on Pesach? What's the punishment, right? The punishment of eating chametz b'shogeg is you have to bring a korban chata. And what's the punishment for eating chametz b'meizid? Forget truma, just eating chametz on purpose. That's curry, right? That's one of the most severe punishments that exists. You're going to be cut off from the Jewish people, however you understand that. And that's how we know that this mitzvah of don't eating chametz is really serious. It, it, it has such a severe, severe punishment linked to it. But the Mishnah doesn't choose to focus on this. And this really confuses me. I, I, I don't know what to do with this Mishnah. It's right here, smack in the middle of the chapter. It says some interesting things, right? I, trying to think about access. Is this in the domain of the divine in some way? So I might have thought that because I, in theory, shouldn't have access to it, I like it's not in my purview, but anything that in the, is in the domain of divine, even though humans don't have access to it, right? I'm not supposed to eat it. The Kohen can't do it but I still affronted the divine, so I, I have to pay? Is that part of the message that is, that there's this world of the divine that is separate from the world of human, human beings, which is similar to the idea we saw in the first chapter? 
is it that there's an equivalency between Kohen, normally Kohenim and, and non-Kohenim are different, right? There's a hierarchy. That's the whole reason they can eat truma and I can't. But we already saw this, that on Pesach, the truma and the chametz are, are equivalent, right? Rabbi Meir thought I could burn them. And here too, the Kohen has no access to this truma on Pesach because it's chametz. Just the way I'm supposed to have no access. Is it want to show me that, that equality between me and Kohanim? But it's an awkward way to do it with me transgressing. Here's a case. If you listeners have a good idea of what the purpose of this Mishnah is, why it's being put here, what it's coming to teach me about the relation, my relationship to Chametz, I, I, I'm really open to hearing. I, one thing that I do see that it brings into discussion that is going to be a theme for our chapter is the issue of human intent, that humans do things with intent or without intent and human knowledge, right? We maybe saw that in the Mishnah before. Do I intend to pay back the loan or not pay back the loan? And now I have objectively a discussion about on purpose or by accident, which has to do with human knowledge, human intention, how human beings act in the world. And I do think that that is going to be something that's been going to be a theme in our chapter. But if you have a better idea, if you have a good one now, email me. But wait till we get to the end of the chapter and, and try to see what it what is this doing in the chapter? I, I, I don't have it so well. I'm open. And maybe as we keep learning together, I'll get some better ideas. But I don't fully get it. The next two Mishnayot are going to switch and they're going to start talking about grains that you can make matzah from and obviously that can be tamfamates and vegetables that you can use for marrow. And we'll look at that next time. Thank you to our Pardes faculty and a big thanks to you, our learners. Make sure to check back in every day to stay on track with your learning and visit www.pardes.org.il for more information about other ways to learn with Pardes.